The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I'm really encouraged by the text this morning. Uh, God in his wisdom and providence is, is giving us exactly what I think we need today. So Hebrews chapter 10. Our reading today is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is the word of the Lord. God, pray with me. Father, thank you uh, that you are a God of the, the past, your God of today, and your God of tomorrow. There is nothing that happens that's outside of your control. You are omnipotently determined to win your people and to redeem your world. You are determined to bring healing, reconciliation to your church and your world. And we've read the end of the story and we know that you win. And so this morning I pray that you would come and you would bring this passage to life in our individual hearts and minds that collectively we might move forward together. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Lord Jesus, you are the Savior and the Master and Lord. And Father, you are just that. 
So love on us, discipline us, teach and correct us that you might get the glory. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I went to Cash Savers this past Monday morning after Sunday night. (laughs) And as I was walking to the produce section, I heard uh, one older black man say to another older black man, Whew, we have sure been through some stuff. And I heard the other black man say, we sure have. And in that window of time and communication... I saw and I felt a real summary of where we've been over the last several weeks. After the culmination of waiting and watching the two shootings by police officers, then the rage of the shooter in Dallas killing five police officers, There was this upswell of emotion and upswell of we have to do something and we saw it culminate Sunday night, uh, even on the bridge that connects Tennessee and Arkansas. And as I think about that and I think about where our country is and our church is, I, I have to agree with those men We have been through some stuff. And when I came to my passage and began working, I began to realize that that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews has been saying. God's people have been through some stuff. You see, especially as Jewish men and women who grew up in a Jewish tradition, who accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, and their lives were moved in a different, radically different direction than what the rest of their family or where the rest of their family was going, they were put through some stuff because they were disowned by their own families. And then coupled with the, the onslaught of Nero's tyranny, in rounding up believers and burning them at the stake publicly to incite fear among God's people. There were people being arrested, they were losing their homes, they were losing their jobs, and yet those who were not losing their homes and not losing their jobs were bearing with those who were losing their homes and jobs, and they, as a church, were uniting together in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, they were one body. And that's what we read in verses 32 through 34 where the writer writes, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, God's people had come together and they exhibited what suffering was, how Christians are to face and endure sufferings, together and with a future hope. And dear friends, as we come together this morning, this church has been through some stuff. We have had evil within. We have had even illegal activity in our midst, and there are victims who are suffering. They have been through some stuff. 
And dear friends, as I have expressed openly, I am going through some stuff. I even tried to get somebody to preach for me this week because of the stuff I'm going through. Watching my dad die was probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest things I've ever been through. And now, saying goodbye to Lucy and saying goodbye to Chris... Watching my friends suffer. Watching injustice after injustice. It hurts. It's heavy. Providentially, I've been reading Sung Cha Ra's book on lamentations, even before all this began. And the book of Lamentations was written during a time of tremendous persecution and suffering in the history of God's people. Jerusalem was just flattened, and the temple was torn down. The, the compass, the, the physical, geographical, emotional compass of God's people was obliterated. And we can only imagine the questions they were asking, and yet God comes to them, and Lamentations is written, and what we see in the first chapter of Lamentations is a funeral dirge. And what God was telling His people, what do you do when you've run out of answers? What do you do with your anger? What do you do with your with your bitterness? What do you do when you're shaking your fist at God? You throw a funeral dirge. We have forgotten how to throw funeral dirges. You see, the beautiful reality is that God invites us to Him in our pain. It is called lament, and 40% of the Psalms are, 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 are uh, recordings of prayers of lament of God's people coming to the end of their rope, shaking their fist at God, saying, How long? Look at the wicked over there. They're prospering, and look at us. We're sucking on dust. How long do we have to go to bed at night and our tears be our food? How long do we have to suffer and endure the night of darkness? How long, O Lord, and where are you? Have you abandoned us? And you know what God says? That's exactly what I want you to do. Because you've got two options when you have run out of options in your own heart and life. You can go to God or you can go away from God. And thank God that He invites us to Himself. Because you see what, what I'm learning in the Scriptures, and, 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 and because, we can go into this all day, but because in the, the churches that I grew up in, and even the churches prior to this one that, 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 that I pastored, we didn't have to lament. Because we didn't face, we weren't objects of deep injustice. Because we separated ourselves from our African-American brothers and sisters who live lives of injustice. And so we could, in our privilege, separate ourselves from having to lament. Shame on us. But I'm learning to lament. (laughs) And what I'm finding in my pain and in my suffering when I'm crying out, and you heard me last week, Oh, God, for 35 years I prayed for my dad, and he dies a drunk? I give my life to you, and this is how I'm repaid? You know the picture that God has given me? It's the picture of a little three-year-old coming to his daddy who loves him immensely, who would die for him, and the little three-year-old is just coming at him. 
And the daddy's just waiting. He's got love in his eyes. He's got empathy. Maybe even some tears. I know you're mad at me, son. Keep, keep punching. Keep punching. Keep punching. And when he's worn out, the daddy leans over and he picks him up and he brings him close. He says, I got you, son. I got you. Because you see, that's the only thing we can do. Unless we choose the alternative. Verses 26 through 30 stand as a warning. Those who have tasted of life, but then turn away in unbelief, there's no hope for them. There's no more sacrifice for sins. Do you see what theologians have used this? We use this kind of as sport. Well, can someone really come to Christ and then lose their... Ridiculous. This is a warning to God's people who are facing suffering, who are, who are facing, facing the loss of everything, who have come to the end of themselves. And what God is saying to His people, He's not giving them a lesson about salvation. He's giving them a warning saying, don't give up your faith. When it feels like I'm gone, don't give up your faith. When it feels like I'm absent, don't give up your faith. When it feels like God is just toying with your life, and when your dreams are not coming true, but they're being dashed in the ground, don't give up your faith, because there are only two ways to go, and that is to God with a lament, and ultimately He wins you, or it's away from God, and it is a scary thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So there's our warning. Where are you this morning? Are you drowning in bitterness? Are you mad and you're angry? When I talk to people and they don't believe in God, the first thing I want to try to do is figure out what's happened to them. It's never an intellectual argument. Never. Something's happened to them. And the further away from God they are, the more traumatic the experience has been, has been my experience. And what I want to hear is, what happened to you, brother? What happened to you, sister? That you would give up on God. Have you given up on God? What's happened to you? He's inviting you to come to Him this morning. And you can come to Him with all your rage and all your anger. And guess what? He is not going to be shocked. You're going to find that He's been waiting. So how do we go to God? That's what the real message is. Three things. How do we go to God in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our bitterness and our anger? The first thing is we use the entrance that we have. (laughs) Go through the entrance that God has given you. I saw a documentary this week. Anybody else? I don't know if you like documentaries, but I saw one on the White House this week. Awesome. And um, the reason it's so awesome is because they focused on the part of the White House that you can't go. I've taken a tour of the White House. I've been there and done that. I guess it was before 9-11. I don't know if they still let you go through the house anymore. But anyway, I did. And uh, But they don't let you go to the living quarters. And when I left, I'm probably like you. I mean... The only place I want to go now is the living quarters. And so that's where this documentary focused on. And so I got to watch it for two hours. And it was fascinating listening to former presidents and first ladies and children of presidents and all that and hearing about the different rooms and bedrooms and all that. And, and, and you know, I found myself thinking and kind of dreaming, man, what if? What if I got access 
to the White House living quarters. I don't mean like nobody was looking and I kind of snuck. I'm talking full access. I'm talking what if somebody like handed me the key and said, it's yours. I'm telling you right now, you give me the key to the residence of the, of the, the White House, I'm using it. I'm all over that place. I'm on the couch. I'm taking my shoes off. I'm jumping in the Lincoln bedroom. I'm all over the place. Why? Because I've been told my whole life that I'm out, and now I'm in. I've been told my whole life, don't you get near. You come over that fence, you're going to get shot. You can't come in here, but now you can come in here. And don't you see? That's the whole thrust of God's redemptive work, and it's the whole message of the book of Hebrews. We are a people that are outcast. We have been thrown out. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We are people that are outcast. We were put out of the garden, and there was a dude with a flaming sword there, and we can never go back. But God. You see it? And so the writer of Hebrews mentions here the holy places. Uh, A Jew would have known immediately what he meant by that. With confidence, draw near. Let's go into the holy places. What are you talking about? To a Jew, they would say, whoa, 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 we can't go into the holy places. That's only for the, the high priest one time a year. And man... He can only go in after he's washed everything numerous times, and then he goes in with, you know, this little thing, and he drips with blood, and he's kind of throwing it all over the altar, and, you know, getting the blood in there, and they tie a rope to his ankle, and, and they put a robe on him with bells, and if those bells stop, and after a while, they're kind of going, oh, he didn't hurt anything in a while, God must have struck him dead, let's pull him out, go find somebody else so we can send him. I mean, that was the whole culture of how you approach God. And so the writer of Hebrews has been hammering this one thing over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus is sufficient to get you in. You were out, but now through His sacrifice, because His blood was spilt, because He is a high priest, He can get you in. In fact, there's no longer any curtain. There's no longer any separation. When you're in Him, you are in. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, but what about my sin? You don't know what I did last night. I've got to tie out to the church, or I've got to, I've got to go volunteer somewhere. I've got to, you know, give me a few days. I mean, I slept with that person. I know I shouldn't have done that. All right, so give me a couple of days to let my conscience ease a little bit. The writer of Hebrews says, no. No, listen to it. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that beautiful? You see, our sin, there there, there are two ways to approach God, a religious way and as a Christian. A religious way says is, boy, I hope I've done enough for God to accept me. Every religion, let me just summarize, every religion, every cult, every everything that's not Christian. And most of, many, I'm not going to say most, many people are preaching Jesus as a religion when he came to end religion. So here's the reality. You can either get to God by what you do or don't do, or you can get to God through what Jesus did for you. And the gospel is this way. I get to God through what Jesus did for me alone. Nothing else. His blood is sufficient. His blood is my entrance. Therefore, I can say, quit playing religious games and get into the presence of God. Act like you live there. 
There are two ways that you can go into the White House. You can go in as a visitor, or you can go in as a resident. And what God is saying is, that's how you can feel with me. How do you feel with me this morning, church? Come to me like a resident. Come to me like you live here. Come to me like you belong here. Come to me like you. I want you here because I do. What else can I do to convince you? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So if you aren't in living boldly in the presence of God, glorying in the realities of your salvation, your forgiveness, the end of your shame, a hope of eternal glory, if that's not where you are, it's not because entrance hadn't been provided for you, but it's only because you are refusing to go in. Many of us think in our religious games that we are being virtuous by holding back from God. Oh, but me, I, you know. When God is saying, are you kidding me? That is the height of arrogance. Does my blood mean, mean nothing to you? That you're just going to hold back and act like I'm a far off God? No. I am the holy God of Israel. I am the Lord of lords and the King of kings. But I have opened the curtain and I've said, come. Dear friend, are you with Jesus this morning? Have you gone through the access that He has provided when we work too much, when we drink too much, when we work out too much, when we read too much, when we do anything too much? You know what we're doing? We're just trying to get to God. We're just trying to get there. He says, I've already made the way for you. All you got to do is fall into my arms. That's all you got to do. Secondly, we not only use the entrance that's been provided, but hold fast your confession. Hold fast to your confession. Believe what you believe. I went to a meeting Monday night at Hope Church. Uh, Pastor Rufus Smith organized a meeting for pastors in the city. And um, he invited us to come in. It was wonderful. Uh, he was expecting about 100. We had over 260 um, there that night. Um, black, white, uh, men, women, all together there for prayer and listening to stories. And a man by the name of Dr. James Netters spoke. He has been the pastor of Mount Vernon Baptist Church for 60 years. Did you hear me? 60 years. He will be 90 years young this September. And he stood up to address, again, this black-white crowd of pastors. And he began with these words. He said, March 28, 1968. We had moved our way up Maine to the corner of Monroe, and we were met by the National Guard tanks and by a line of police and sheriffs along Main Street. And he said, Dr. King was on the front row, and I was on the second row. He got our attention at that point. He said there were some in the crowd, some of the younger ones in the crowd, who didn't uh, fully embrace Dr. King's nonviolent tactics. And they picked up boulders and they threw them into the plate glass windows in the stores. And he said when they did that, the National Guard unleashed its fury. And he said, all I could think about was protecting Dr. King because he was my hero. And so I, I, I got close to him, and as I was trying to, to hold people off from hitting Dr. King, he, he said, I, I was so focused there that I didn't recognize that a canister of tear grass had fallen between my feet. 
He said, it went off, and I, I was blinded immediately, and then I felt something hit the back of my head, and I went to the ground. And I remember being beat and kicked. And then he said, I, I remember two teenage boys came, and, and, and they threw their bodies over my body, and they were taking the blows for me, and they said, Serge, y'all cannot beat this man. He's a member of the city council, as he was on the first city council of the city. And Dr. Netter said he distinctly remembers the boys saying, you better move his black ass or we're going to kill him. And so these boys picked him up the best they could and they helped him off and they got him up Monroe to, to Front Street, which would be this way. And then he said this. He said, then my eyesight started coming to. I had a moment where I could just kind of stand there and take this in. And he said... Romans 8.28 came to mind. For we know that in all things, God works together for good for those who love Him and who've been called according to His purpose. (laughs) Then he launched into a sermon, if you will, on the faithfulness of God. And all I can think was, that's a man who understands how to hold fast to the confession. That is a man who doesn't look at life and determine God's opinion of him based on what's happening to him. That's a man who knows how to hang on to the words of God as if they were his reality, as if they were his circumference and the center of everything that he believes. And friends, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Because when life comes heavy at us, it is easier to think bad about God than good about God. It's easier to think falsely about God than truthfully about God. Because when we go to the Word of God, we see that suffering was not something that was outside of His realm. This is what we read when we go to God Himself and to His Word. Isaiah 53, He who was believed and what they heard, or who has believed in what they heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Do you hear me? Do you feel like you're an outcast in society? Do you feel like you're you're ugly and you're relegated over here and because of the way you look that that everybody's kind of moving back from you? I want you to know that Jesus knows what that feels like. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And what did we do? We esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Do you know why he remained silent? For you and me. He opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his, this generation, or his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. He knew what it was like for the authorities to abuse their authority and to use it to shut him up and cast him off. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. That's us. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Dear friends, do you know? I can't even finish the passage. Do you know what this is saying? It is saying what no other religion, no other, any story, no myth, nothing has ever said. There's nothing like this in the whole world. What this is saying is that God sent His Son to bear up under the curse of this world. He, A king, when he comes to the earth, is treated like royalty because he is, but not this king. Because this king said, I have a mission, and it's to save all those that the Father has given me. And the only way that I can do that is to bear up under the injustice. It's to bear up under the ugliness. It's to bear up under the oppression. It's to bear up under the abuse of authority. It's to bear up under death. It's to become the object of people's hate. It's to become the object of people's scorn. It's to know what it's like to live with all the the devil has to bring. But then... To come out of the ground like nobody's ever come out of the ground. Do you hear it? We had, here's evil. Here's injustice. Here's the wickedness that all of us face in some reality. And Jesus comes in the middle of it and he explodes it. And he says, you just wait. You just wait. Oh, what a savior we have in Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. He knows what it's like, dear friends. It is not right for children to be born in homes where they hear their father beating their mother. It is not right for little girls to be raped. It is not right for a whole race of people to be drugged and kidnapped and brought to a country and treated like less than humanity. And then be ostracized for wanting freedom. And then to be looked down upon as whiners if they want real progress when all we've done is change lives where we hadn't changed perspectives and systems. <sighs> he knows what it's like. It's not right for these things to happen. It's not right for my father to be an alcoholic, for to be removed from me, for him to die without me seeing him come to faith. It is not right. But guess what? Jesus knows that. And that's why He came. 
He came to be a comfort to us. And He came to say, don't let this day define your view of me, your view of others, and your view of this world. You let me define your view of me. You let me define your view of the world. You let me tell you how you are to live. Whew. It's a hard, 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 hard truth. Are you holding fast to your confession? And then thirdly and finally, he says to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Are you kidding me? The last thing I want to do in the midst of my hurt, did I just say it a minute ago or was that the first hour? I'm sorry. I've got 50-year-old brain, but uh, I don't even want to preach this sermon. I think I told you guys that. I tried to get out of it. You know what God said? No, sorry. That guy can't preach for you, sorry. you got to go and stir somebody else up to love and good deeds. Get out of your self-pity, Richard. Get out of your get out of your funk and go think about somebody else. All right, God. Then I come here not wanting to worship. Tim Johnson stops the first worship service and says, Whoa, now wait a minute. I don't hear anybody crying out to God. Ah Tell him I hated him after worship the first service. He's an evil man. And that's what God calls us to do. After the second shooting, the one of Philando Castile, the spirit among my brothers and sisters, my black brothers and sisters, I could tell was really low. And it didn't have to be low for me, because I'm white. But a couple hours into my day, I realized what was going on. And I began to reach out to my black brothers and sisters and Just say, I love you, and I'm with you. And then I began to realize that as the leader of this church, that I I needed to get sick of how we've dealt with these things in the past. We've had Trayvon Martin, we've had Mike Brown, we've had one instance after another, and every time that something like that happens, black people are over here talking to each other, posting different things, and white people really aren't over here. We're just kind of going, I don't know what to do. And this illustration came to mind for me. After my dad died, and people would call me or text me or write me or whatever, text me, and all they'd have to say is, Richard, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, I love you, if you need me, I'm here. That's it. I didn't need people to, to write me and say, man, I had an alcoholic father, and I know, let me tell you how you should be feeling right now, let me solve all that. I just needed somebody to write and say, man, I'm here. And in that moment, as I thought about that, I, I called this meeting at Streets. You know, I sent out an Evite at like 2.30. We met at 6. Over 100 people showed up. I said, that's it? That's all i got to do? That's it. It's just go be with somebody. It's to stir somebody up to love and good deeds. That just goes means go 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 to the funeral with them, acknowledge something's happened, and we don't even do that. Acknowledge something horrible has happened. Don't try a case. 
just acknowledge something horrible has happened and say, you're my brother, and if it's happened to you, it's happened to me. And I'm not letting you suffer alone. I'm not letting you hurt alone. I'm not letting you cry alone. I'm not letting you cry out to God alone. I'm not letting you walk alone. I'm not going to let you have your black meeting over here and us white people. We're going to meet together and we're going to be the church of God. Do you understand that the major thrust of the redemptive work of Christ is really summarized in Ephesians chapter 2 where, where Paul said that Jesus in his flesh brought down the dividing wall of hostility and made the two one. There were two people on either side. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were out and the Jews were in. And there was literally a wall of hostility between them. We've got those in our day. With slavery, then Jim Crow law, and all the injustices of today. We've got these little... But in Christ, no, 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 no. That wall is down. And so church, we better start acting like that wall is down. And we need to start embracing each other. And so how do we do that? Two ways. The writer of Hebrews says, first of all, go to church. Stop forsaking the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, do you understand that that the writer of Hebrews was saying that to possibly, and I think probably, the most racially divided culture in the world, the Jews and the Gentiles hated each other, hated each other. I mean, huge disdain, open, no hidden hate for one another. And Jesus came and said, I am bringing down the dividing wall of hostility, and here's how I'm going to change the world. It's by the people that formerly hated each other to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. To say, here's what unites us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and here's what unites us, all are justified freely by His blood. Now, either Paul was talking about racism and classism and genderism, or he's a universalist. If all are justified through his blood, then either that means all races, or that means everybody, we might as well go home and eat and drink because we're all going, it's a universalist. Now, that's exactly what he was saying. The whole thrust of the work of Christ was so as to produce a plan A for the world that would be the hope for the world. But here's the reality. Do you know why white people don't know what to do when our African-American brothers and sisters storm a bridge and close it down? Because we don't have any black friends to call and to say, how can I pray for you and how can I love on you? Because the church has been the place of the greatest segregation in the history of this country. And God looks down and says, my, 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 my. It's time for change. Are you going to go to church and be the church? Or are you just going to sit back and let things be as they are? Stop neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Get together when one is hurting, all are hurting. Be reconciled not only to God, but to one another. And do what you must in order to to make that happen. And then lastly, give yourself away. Consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. You know, 
Um, when we started this church, I knew, I honestly, the growth of this church has absolutely shocked me. I thought we were going to be a pretty small church for a long time. And we're still, you know, I don't depend on how you want to look at it. But the fact all you people are here is kind of blowing me away. Um, the fact we have two services is kind of blowing me away. You know why? Because I knew that this wouldn't be a church that would be easy to come to. Because you would hear stuff like I've been saying the last several minutes. And I knew that when we opened the doors and we said, hey, I believe the church is the plan A for every problem that this city has, I knew that we were going to have people, you know, we, we're going to have a messy kind of congregation. And we're going to face problems that keep you from just jumping in your car as a family, coming here worshiping and going home. But there are going to be issues right here in this body that are going to have to either change your life or you're going to eventually leave the church. And so if you come to downtown church, there are needs all around you. We have a number of children that come to this church that don't have families. And here's what I'm challenging the church with this morning. Don't drown in the hopelessness of your situation, but look around and find a child that comes to church week in and week out. They've been here for probably three to five years, and you don't even know them. And wouldn't it be a tragedy if they grow up and they leave this church and it doesn't hurt to leave this church? Uh, but what if we change that future? And you looked around and you said, hey, I want to get to know that little guy. I want to get to know that 12-year-old. I want to get to know that 15-year-old because it doesn't look, look like they kind of come in, sit by themselves and leave. I want to get to know them because I want them to know how much Jesus loves them. And the only way that's going to happen is if someone brings them in and tells them in relationship and shows them some love. We have a number of children that are moving through our elementary ministry and we don't have a middle to upper school ministry. Shame on us. You see, we've got to address these things. We have people in our body that are constantly looking for work. We have, we have people that go home to homes that have no air conditioning. We have people that are skipping meals. We have people that are going to jail and have no one to, to, to visit them and fight for them. We have, I could just go on and on and on and on. Because that's the kind of church we said we're going to be. We said we're going to be in downtown and we are not just going to be a church of one race or one class. But we are going to look at this downtown area and we're going to draw a line and we're going to say this is our target area. And whoever lives there is our target. And it doesn't matter what they make or don't make. Because that is what Christ has called us to do. In the process we will be changed and so will the world. We have Advanced Memphis starting a class on faith and finances, and they need champions to show up on Thursday nights just to walk with people who are coming, who may have never had a job, and they're saying, I want to get a job, and I want to manage my money in a responsible way, but I am scared to death because everything around me is telling me not to. And we just need some people to come and show up and be a friend for several weeks on Thursday nights. We've got Streets Ministries who has a host of children that need those to come in and mentor them. An hour, hour and a half a week. Just show up. Take the curriculum. Help with homework and build a relationship. 
We can go on and on and on. What can I do? We can be the body of Christ and we can begin to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Why? Because Christ saw us in our time of need and He didn't sit back in apathy, but He came down. Who are you coming down for? Drink in the realities that Jesus came down for you. And let's start coming down for those around us. Lord Jesus, thank You that there's hope in Your Gospel. Thank You that there is life in Christ, in You, that there's hope that we don't have to shrink back, but we can, we can go boldly and confidently into Your presence. Thank You, Father, that... Our Savior has suffered for us so that now we are not expected to suffer perfectly. God, I know the anger and bitterness of my heart so often. I know I'd rather call a friend and run people down than stir people up to love and good deeds. Forgive me. But thank you, Jesus, that I know you have. Oh, Father, I pray that You would work in our midst, that You would just ignite something real through downtown church. May we be the people of God. May we not play church. May we not make Jesus, Your teaching and Your reality, a religion. But may we accept You for all that You are, and may You change us and mobilize us and help us just to love each other. Father, we need You. We beg that you would come and change us individually that we might be changed corporately. Be with this world, O oh God. Bring revival. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.